Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Thank you, Sue, and good morning, everybody. I said good morning, everybody. <laughs> good to see you all. So, yes, my name's Theo, if um, I don't know you, and uh, I'm part of the team here at The Granary. And it's my um, absolute pleasure to bring the word to you this morning. My message is titled, The Desire for Comfort. Do I have a clicker? No. Okay. Ian will be my clicker. Great. So the, the passage this morning that we're looking at is um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're looking at verses 1 to 5. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, Paul writes, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg that I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the book of 2 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in 2 Corinth. No, in Corinth. Um, little joke. And it's, it's one of multiple letters that he's, he's written to them, obviously. Some people say it's the second. Some people say it might even be the third. But if you read the whole letter, you'll see that it's a book which is filled with immense stories of pain. Um, Paul experience is a person who is very much acquainted with pain. Um, and it's a letter which challenges our contemporary narrative, I believe, around comfort, around this idea of comfort. And that's what I want us to look at very quickly this morning. Um, for me, I go to the gym. Um, I probably don't need to tell you that, but I do. <laughs> I, uh, I go to the gym a few times a week and I go to what is called a, uh, a HIT class, a high intensity interval training class. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what a HIT class, it's basically half an hour of absolute hell on this earth. And um, the only way that I really can endure these classes, what I do is, is afterwards I go to the beach and I jump in the ocean and afterwards I go to the kiosk and I buy flat white. <laughs> and when I'm in the middle of a HIT class, I just think about that flat white and I, know, and I think what I'm going through now is excruciating torture uh, and, just, and just, you know, seemingly unbelievable stupidity. But in, you know, not very long, I will be sitting uh, with a towel wrapped around me drinking a delicious hot coffee. And that image of me sitting there drinking that coffee is really like that is the, the for me, the ideal picture of comfort. And I wonder what it is for you. 
So in fact, that's what I want you to do this, this morning first up is I want you to have a little discussion around your table and you have to tell each other, what is your ideal picture of comfort? When you think of you in your most comfortable place, what does it look like? Tell your friends, go. Okay, um, you, can keep, you can keep discussing afterwards. Did we get any interesting uh, unexpected answers? I hope. You can come and tell me afterwards. Um, I believe that human beings, that we as human beings, are very, very highly motivated by comfort. Not even, not, not just is the coffee a motivation for me, but even going to the gym really is, 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 is a reflection of my desire to be motivated by comfort because, you know, I w don't want my body to just totally fall apart so that one day, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can't, you know, it's not, it's no good to me. And so, and so I exercise and even that is sort of like, it's kind of like delayed gratification in a way, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a still an expression of my desire for comfort. So what does this letter um, that Paul writes to the Corinthians think about this idea of comfort being the goal that we, that we sort of work towards? Because we have been doing this, um, this series, We Can Overcome, which uh, if you haven't been here or haven't been paying attention, is all about spiritual warfare. And we're coming towards the end of it now. And so I want us this morning to think about, well, what, you know, we've been looking a lot about different aspects of spiritual warfare, but what in this spiritual warfare that we as children of God find ourselves in, what is the goal that we're actually fighting for? What is the goal? Well, we're going to see in this, this passage, these five verses that I read to you, what the goal is, but not only what the goal is, we're going to see what comes against that goal. So the things that actually stand between us and that goal. And then lastly, we're going to see how the goal is achieved. I think all of those things are expressed pretty clearly in those five verses that I read to you. And so we're going to unpack that very quickly and then we'll be done. Okay, so what the goal is. Well, we see in verse five there that we demolish, Paul writes, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The goal I believe that Paul is expressing here that we are fighting for is actually the knowledge of God. That's what we should be going after, all of us. We should be going after the knowledge of God. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't just mean knowing facts about God. That's not what the Bible means here when it says the knowledge of God. It's the, the word know here is much deeper than a person, you know, than, than, a, than just knowing about. You know, when you know a person, you know, sometimes you can know a person, but you don't really know a person. And, and when you get to really know a person, it's, it's, it's when you get to experience what that person is actually like. We might have information about God. We might believe that he exists. But to really know God in the way that Paul is expressing, we actually experience his character in a personal, real way. Okay, we don't just have ideas and theories about who God is. We actually come to a place where we begin to experience the person of God in our life. And that's what we should be going after, more and more of a deeper knowledge, not just up here, but in our whole being of who God is because we have experienced it on a personal level. So what is this character of God that we are meant to be knowing in a deep way? Well, Paul actually gives us an insight into this at the very big beginning of the, of the book because he writes in, he describes God in chapter 1, verse 3, as the father of compassion 
This is God here, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. And as you read this letter, this idea of comfort keeps coming back again and again and again. To know God, to really know God, means to experience his comfort at a deep level. Now, what does comfort mean? We might interpret the word comfort, and this might be part of the problem here, is that we interpret the word comfort in lots of different ways. But I think that the word comfort at its base level and the way in which Paul means it here is it means freedom from pain. Freedom from pain. To know God is actually to experience freedom from pain. What kind of pain are we talking about? Well, I think we're talking about, firstly, about physical pain. And I think we're talking about that because we know that Paul writes about that earlier in the letter, in the first chapter of the next slide. He says, We are crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. So our God has very, very real power to actually rescue us from physical pain. How does he do that? Well, I think he can do that through miraculous healings. And some of us will attest to that fact because we've seen it in our own lives, that God can actually come about and bring a miraculous healing for some sort of physical ailment. But I think also that he brings about a physical uh, relief from pain just simply through acts of compassion. The story that com comes to mind for me is the story of the Good Samaritan, this parable which Jesus tells, but it expresses the heart of God in the, in the follower of Jesus who actually sees the person uh, broken and bleeding on the ground and comes and tends to his wounds and gives him clothing and puts him, you know, gives him a ride and takes him to accommodation and gives him a place to stay. So, you know, our attitude is, as, um, as followers of Jesus should not be to look at people who are in physical pain and say, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's character building. <laughs> it actually should be to provide real comfort to people who are in physical pain. But it's not just physical pain that Paul is, is, is talking about, I don't believe, because he also expresses God's ability to provide us comfort in times of great emotional pain. We see in chapter 7, he writes, verse 6, but God who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. So God can provide comfort for our emotional pain simply by being able to provide um, wounds to our, um, healing to the wounds in our, in our emotions. Okay, so you might be experiencing uh, all kinds of heartache or grief or whatever, and, and God can meet with you personally and actually provide an emotional healing there. But I think also God brings people into our lives who actually provide emotional comfort just simply by the beauty of being able to be in relationships with other people who are healing. Um, because we see here that God encourages those who are discouraged discouraged, but then Paul puts flesh and bone to that by saying he encouraged us by the arrival of Titus, so actually sending along another person. I was listening to a Christian speaker um, just on a podcast yesterday who was talking about a woman who came into their church 
and, and, and he was praying for her and said, what do you need? She said, I need a friend. I just need a friend. And then they prayed for her and she walked outside and there was a man outside the church who had a little slip of paper on it and he went up and handed it to her and on the slip of paper it said, will you be my friend? And then a year later the two of them were married. So, there, you know, there is real comfort for our emotional pain that God wants to bring to us just simply by being in relationship with other people. But the real thing that I think that Paul is getting at here, the deeper thing, is actually the comfort which is provided for us in our spiritual pain. He writes in verse 8 of chapter 6, We serve God, and I need you to get this, so pay attention. We serve God whether people honour us or despise us whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Paul's writing here about a place in which he's really experiencing no comfort for his physical pain, no comfort for his emotional pain. He's been beaten. His heart aches, and yet still he experiences joy. To the secular skeptic reader, they might go, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's a paradox. But to the person who actually understands what the Bible is getting at here, there is actually an area of our lives that requires comfort, which is deeper than our physical pain. It's even deeper than our emotional pain. And it's a pain that we experience on a spiritual level. And it's an area which only God can provide comfort for. Because in this world, we can find other forms of comfort for our physical pain, and we can find other forms of comfort for our emotional pain. The world will offer us temporary relief from physical and emotional pain, and that's good. But the problem is, is that those things can actually dis distract us from the deeper problem of spiritual pain, which is common to all mankind. But, but the converse truth here is, is that Paul actually states is that even here, you know, we see here, even when we're in times of physical pain and emotional pain, and we are getting no relief. And even if we're crying out to God, and you'll see later on in, in the book that Paul cries out to God. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but read uh, chapter 12. There's no relief. For some reason, sometimes God doesn't bring comfort to our physical pain. He doesn't provide comfort for our emotional pain. And yet still, beneath all of that, Paul writes that we can experience a comfort at a far deeper level, which is in our spirits. So the issue is not that we as human beings desire comfort. Paul writes time and time and again that our God is a God of all comfort and that comfort is that what we're going is what we're going after. The issue is not that we are people who live for comfort. The issue is that we settle for inferior comforts. We settle for counterfeit comforts that the world provides and by by thinking that we're going to find the answer to our spiritual pain by comforts in the world, we actually exacerbate the problem. Okay, so what comes against the goal? If the goal is the comfort in the knowledge of God, well, it says in verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so what comes against the knowledge of God is arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against. What does that mean? Well, the arguments is basically any mindset that we would have which preferences our physical and our emotional needs over and above our spiritual needs, or even worse, denies our spiritual needs entirely. Now, what am I talking about? Well, I think that 
the society that we live in presents us these sorts of arguments all the time. It's constantly telling us to feed our emotional and physical needs, which is not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's only a problem when it comes at the expense of our spiritual needs. And I think we can see these narratives all over the place. If we begin to open our eyes to them, we'll see that the world is telling us to do this all the time. And I'm going to give you an example from the 1980s, and then I'm going to give you an example from the 1990s. The 1980s example is a song by Roxette, which is called Listen to Your Heart. It says, listen to your heart when he's calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know. Some of you have got the melody going through your head right now. I'm not going to sing it. I don't know where you're going and I don't know why, but listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye. Okay, so there's this idea in our culture that all you need to do is just listen to your heart because your heart won't deceive you. But your heart will deceive you. Sometimes your heart doesn't know what it wants, doesn't know what's right for you. It says even here, I don't know where you're going and I don't know why, but listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye. Okay, if we're motivated only by our emotions, it's going to lead us into all sorts of trouble. Okay, my, my 90s example is a song by the Bloodhound Gang called The Bad Touch. And it says, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammal. So, well, I'm not going to read the rest of the lyrics. Um, some of you know the song, but the idea basically is that we're just animals. So all we have is basically physical needs, physical desires. And if we just see ourselves as purely emotional beings or purely physical beings, then we are unable to actually address the deeper problem of spiritual need, which is in all of us. So that, that's the arguments. And then Paul writes about every pretension. Murray J. Harris, who's a Christian scholar, says that this phrase, pan hypsoma, which is uh, translated as every pretension, it refers to any human act or attitude that forms an obstacle to the emancipating knowledge of God contained in the gospel of Christ crucified and therefore keeps men in, and women for that matter, in oppressive bondage to sin. If you're only dictated by, this is me now, if you're only dictated by your body or your emotions, then in moments of pain, you will un unwittingly make decisions in the name of comfort, which compromise your soul. These comforts that we might turn to alleviate our physical or uh, emotional pain, they become obstacles to this knowledge of God by being counterfeit comforts. When we try to use the comfort of the world to fix spiritual pain, we actually develop the sinful, the sinful strongholds in our life, which Paul is writing about uh, in verse 4 of chapter 10. I'll give you an example. Drugs can be used to alleviate physical ailments. Okay, so I'm sure all of us have probably used some kind of um, hopefully legal drug at some point in our lives to, to um, relieve us from, from physical pain of, of one kind or, or another. But if we actually use drugs to cope with the deeper spiritual pain that we experience, we'll, we'll become substance abusers. And, and we've seen it happen time and time again. Another example is relationships. Okay, you might be experiencing emotional pain and so you think, okay, I just need to get good relationships in my life. I just, I need a good significant other or I need my children to be, to, you know, to, 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 to uh, you know, to be around me. And, um, and relationships can provide great comfort for our, for our emotional pain. It's very true. But if we actually use relationships to, to try and solve the deeper problem of spiritual pain than we experience, then we actually develop an unhealthy dependence upon those people. And sometimes we smother them or we even become abusive at its very worst, worst level.
So this is incredibly serious. These things that, that set up against, come against this knowledge of God, which is arrived at when we, when we um, acknowledge the spiritual pain that we experience on a deeper level. Okay, so then how is this goal achieved? All right, well, it says in verse 4, the weapons that we fight against, that we, sorry, that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. I'll say that again. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, so we use spiritual weapons in order to achieve this goal of the deep knowledge of God. But what are the weapons that Paul's talking about? Well, he writes in other parts of the scriptures about lots of spiritual weapons, okay? And we've looked at them in previous weeks. But right here in this passage, he's actually, I believe he's talking about something rather specific. And so does John Wesley. He says that, that Paul writes about many spiritual weapons in other letters. But in this letter, Paul is chiefly talking about the Word of God. And I agree with that because we know that in verse 1, I think I've got, next slide. Yeah, Paul writes, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be so as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. What's he talking about? Well, basically, he's written letters to the church at Corinth. And they're saying, well, you seem so you know, bold in, in your writing, but then when you come to us, you're timid. And, and Paul is not saying, well, yeah, you know, I'll come and I'll show you bold. He's actually not wanting to be bold. He's wanting them to respond to his letters. And what are Paul's letters? Well, Paul's letters as the apostle are the word of scripture. His desire is that the Corinthians respond to his writings so that he does not need to admonish them in person. So when we are tempted to, to, to allow these sin, sinful strongholds into our lives by trying to use the comforts of the world to alleviate our spiritual pain, what do we do? Well, we use the writings of Paul. When we're tempted to sin, we should to attend to Paul and to the other biblical writers and use it as a weapon to come against the, the, spirit, the sinful strongholds that want to build up within our spirits. In times of great spiritual pain, and you know about this spiritual pain because you know that sometimes even when you get that physical comfort that you think will make everything right or that emotional comfort that you think will make everything right, you still don't feel right. Even when everything is great and you've got all the worldly comforts around you, you still feel something within you which isn't right. And that's that deeper spiritual pain which Paul is writing about. And sometimes we feel that more acutely, but it, I think it's always there. And sometimes we just distract ourselves by, by using counterfeit comforts. But we come against that by using the word, okay? So in our spiritual pain, we might quote... Um, Chapter 1, verse 9, which I read before, which says, stop we stop relying on ourselves and we learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And we preach that word into our souls, that we serve a God who raises the dead. Or we, or we might preach to ourselves, chapter 6, verse 10, our hearts ache, but we have joys. So that even when we're experiencing moments of heartache, we read the writings of Paul and go that even though I have heartache and I have pain, I believe in a God who raises the dead, who can bring joy into my spirit. And we preach the word of God into our spirits so that we break off any sinful strongholds that want to come against that deeper knowledge of the comfort which God promises he will bring to us if we go to him to be our source of all comfort. Is this making sense? 
If we're not immersing ourselves in the Bible, then we're unable to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so how do we immerse ourselves in the Bible? Well, I think firstly, we immerse ourselves in the Bible individually, and that can be reading the Bible. I would encourage you all to be reading the Bible daily. But I understand that some people are not particularly bookish and reading the Bible is a struggle. But I've been thinking about this recently and I actually think that for the most of church history, most Christians haven't been reading the Bible individually because there wasn't even the printing press for most of the time, but also because a lot of them just were illiterate. So um, they're actually hearing the word. And now we've got the advantage of apps which actually can read the Bible to us. And I want to encourage anyone here who struggles to get into the Bible to actually think about other ways of getting into it. You can get an app on your phone which will read the Bible to you. And that's not, that's not subpar Bible. That's still the Word of God being read to you. Um, in fact, the Bible, you know, the Scripture says to us that hearing of the Word has power. So individually, but also we need to immerse ourselves in Scripture communally. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it like what's happening right now. We come along to church and we listen to the word being preached. That's why it's so important to come along and hear the word being preached because the scriptures are being opened up to you in a way which gives you real power to defeat the, the sinful strongholds in your life. Um, the other is through a connect group. Some of you will be in connect groups. Some of you won't be in connect groups, but I want to encourage you that connect groups are a really fantastic way of being able to immerse yourself in scripture in a small group. The last thing, and I don't know who does this, but this is something which we are going to be increasingly encouraging you more and more to do at the granary, is just to meet up with one or two other people once a week, once a fortnight, and just read the Bible together. I don't know if you do that, but if you don't do that, I want to encourage you to do that. Who's someone in your life who you could say, hey, would we be able to meet up once a fortnight and just read a little bit of the Bible together and discuss it? These things are incredibly important because as you discuss the Bible with one another, you hear each other's perspective and it starts to come to life for you in a new way and you are immersing yourself more and more deeply in Scripture. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, so we've got sinful strongholds that want to come, come against us and come against the knowledge of God and we need the Bible as the weapon which is going to come against it. And you're thinking, okay, so this is a good chance for us to be able to use the Bible to actually tell people when they're going wrong and to point out where they've got spiritual and sinful strongholds in their life. But that's actually not what Paul's asking for here because that's what the people of Corinth wanted him to do. They wanted him to come along and just to start going off at people and saying, you've got problems there, you've got problems there. But what Paul really desires is that they would listen to his words and read his words and that would let themselves be transformed by his words themselves. Because we see in verse 5 that he wants us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You see, Paul was not desiring human obedience to himself. That's what we, I think, come back to time and time again is that our our natural instinct is just to try and bring human authority into everything. Paul's wanting to come against that and say, let's not worry about human authority. If we, can, if we can submit ourselves to the word, then we actually come under obedience to Christ. And that's why he says at the beginning of the chapter, by humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you because the, 
idea of being immersed in the word is not just for the sake of the words themselves, but it's actually the word as a person seen in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up now. And I'm going to finish with Matthew 11, in which Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So the question I want to uh, leave you with is, are you experiencing pain physically, emotionally or spiritually today? Close your eyes actually and consider that question. Are you experiencing pain physically, emotionally, or spiritually? Because the Bible tells us that we serve the God of all comfort who actually sees your pain and he cares and he wants to bring comfort. He wants to bring comfort to you physically and he wants to bring comfort to you emotionally. But even if he doesn't do that for whatever reason, he's God and we're not. He promises that he will bring comfort to our souls. I'll read it again what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Heavenly Father, we begin by acknowledging that you are the God of all comfort. Our whole being yearns for freedom, for emancipation from pain, from physical pain, from emotional pain, and from spiritual pain. And I love the fact, God, that you don't look at our desire to be free from those things and go, I'll toughen up. You actually say, no, come to me with your pain. Come to me with all of your pain. Come to me with that yearning desire to be comforted and I will comfort you. So Lord, we come to you with all of those things. We repent of the times that we've used the comforts of this world to try and bring rest to the deeper problem of spiritual pain. We lay that aside and we say, God, you are the God of all comfort. You can bring real comfort to my physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I just want all of us to take a moment just to see ourselves before Jesus, actually bringing him our pain and, 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 and thinking about that exchange which he gives us. We give him our pain and he gives us rest. He provides us comfort. And I just want, I want to give you a moment just to, 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 have, to have that encounter with God in your spirits. But then after that, you might like to pray with the people at your table and you might like to share. You don't have to share, but you might like to and say, you know, I really need, I really need comfort in this area of my life today. And you can pray for one another. Also, I'm going to invite our prayers if we have some of our prayers to actually stand up as well if you would like to actually go to one of our prayer team um, to be prayed for.
So let's do that this morning. Let's just stay in this atmosphere of prayer while the team plays some music for us. And then you can ask the people at your table, can I pray for you?